Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 38. The crew is here in attendance. Richard, how's it going? Hey, what's up, guys? It's going good. Seth, you you did it, man. You won. <laughs> Fantasy it's, football, it's... you're on the scoreboard. It was a great weekend. I finally won. One in three. I'm on the comeback trail. Here we go. The, the redemption story of the, the season. Seth, yeah, did well. Uh, so kudos to you. But on to more pressing matters. So this is a magic podcast. We're not going to spend too much time on uh, other things. But uh, good to see you back in the in the race. <laughs> in, um, in the race. I had not back in. This is, That was my first win. So not even back in the race. I'm in it now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the SEG Indy. First major tournament with uh, Battle for Zendikar legal. We're going to get our thoughts on that. So that was really interesting. And uh, just to get it out of the way now, I looked like a genuine ass when uh, I gave you trouble about bring to light. So I'm eating my words now and you can have all the fun at my expense. Uh, then we're going to talk about fat pack stuff. Uh, everyone's kind of talking about this right now. So we wanted to get our thoughts on that. Then we have some fish mail, some finance stuff. And to close it out, our thoughts on like the whole J situation. That was one of the big key increases over the weekend. And yeah, we'll just talk about, you know, moto and how that might be affecting that a little bit more. But, uh, first I open the floor to you guys. What did you think of, uh, SCG Indy, uh, Richard? Uh, I don't know what to think. There, there, there was a lot of bring to light. There was a lot of siege rhino. Um, it just seemed like all of the old archetypes just splashed some more colors, and away we went. Uh, so it was interesting to see deck names like Jeskai Black, Abzan Blue. You're like, what? Uh, but you know, Jace had a coming out party. Gideon had a coming out party. Uh, it, the format is still very unrefined. This is before the Pro Tour, so no one's breaking out their secret tech. But we did see some spicy stuff show up, so it's exciting. Um, I don't know about this mana base situation, and I don't know about Jace hitting $85, but uh, it, it definitely is an interesting time in Magic right now. Yeah. Uh, Seth, you wrote, as always, your By the Numbers Battle for Zendikar. So let's get your thoughts and then just a little bit more about uh, your article in particular. Uh, well, I thought it was pretty exciting. I got to watch it on and off this weekend as I was uh, here and there and doing other things. But uh, it, like Richard said, it really did feel sort of like the same old thing, the changes to the deck. Obviously, the biggest thing that Battle for Zendikar brought to standard were these crazy mana bases, the ability to fetch up slow lands or BFC duels. Um, so that was definitely the biggest impact, as Richard mentioned. Otherwise, it felt pretty much... Like the old standard, except now your Jeskai deck gets to play Coligan's Command and Crackling Doom, and your Abzan deck gets to splash for Radiant Flame. So, I don't know. I think we'll see what happens going forward. And I also am a little bit concerned about the mana perhaps being too good for standard, uh, and there not being anything to keep that in check. I had similar thoughts to both of you, and I'm I'm actually not really surprised at all that Atarka Red ended up winning the tournament, so congrats to Brian DeMars on that. Oh, and just one little other note. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Cedric Phillips and Patrick Sullivan. If you're listening to this, I really appreciate you guys using Battlelands on the stream instead of Tango Land, so I never have to hear that again. And 
really thank you so much for putting that you just controversy. You spawned like 500 comments for this podcast. <laughs> oh, Tango lands are so good. What are battle lands? Oh, low lands. Oh, but I, I company true. lands. That, that, so, like, really, it was it was great to watch the whole stream and not have to hear those references at all. So, so thank you. So is Battlelands the official thing? Like we gotta wait for the. Wiz- oh, I'm going with it. No, we can't <laughs> wait for the Pro Tour to see what they use on the Pro Tour, and I think that is like the final yeah. word. Oh <laughs> uh, man, what's his name? I'm sure Rashad is gonna call him Tango Lands and ruin everyone's <laughs> like everyone's Pro man. Tour weekend. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> To your to your point, uh, Seth and, and Richard, yeah, it, it just seemed like they're like here are all the old archetypes again, minus red green and green white devotion. So basically, devotion's gone, and we're left with all the other archetypes, just with like an additional color. So it's interesting, and, and I like that. And it, it's certainly not none of the seventy five deck lists were probably even close to being refined, and we might see a little different things at Pro Tour, but. What's telling is is that, yes, the mana base is – they might be too good, but, again, they're, they're still able to be preyed upon by aggressive lists. And just looking at your the, – the, from the, the numbers, it, it, a lot of decks were very, very greedy. And uh, Atarka Red came with the win because of that. And, you know, when you, when you have – very greedy mana bases and you're only really relying on single target removal and only radiant flames as your your sweeper i mean you're gonna get you're gonna lose to tarka red i mean you can't wild slash you can't go one for one with that deck without some eventually being blown out of the game but uh so i I think the key word is greedy because yeah they're not actually greedy in any way they play five colors and they don't get mana screwed right you fetch uh, you get your slow land or your battle land, and you don't have to shock yourself, right? Like, you don't really get mana screwed, and there's nothing to punish your non-basic land. So they're just actually five-color decks, and nothing goes wrong. No, right? yeah. Like, a Tark of Red punishes them because they don't have sweepers, but the fact that they're five colors is not a downside, right? Like Right, but there were a few times on, on camera. It wasn't often, so I give you the the... I concede the fact that more often, like nine times out of ten, you're not going to trip up on your mana. But there were some times on camera, I saw specifically that there were some hiccups on mana and that cost them the game. Yeah. So, like, Radiant Flames, you know, you do have the red, but you don't have the third uh, color to make it three when you really needed to make it three. So, I, I don't know. There there were some times on camera, not often, that they were getting choked up on, on, on their colors. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Atarka Red's going to take full advantage of that. So the other, the other thing is, too, though, like, how much worse is this mana base versus Atarka Red than the Painland mana base? Like, under the old system, you could fix your mana, but you were going to have to deal yourself damage some percentage of the time to hit all three colors. Now you don't really have that issue. Like, Painlands in the mid-range and control decks are basically gone. Like, maybe one single pain land in a deck like Esper Control or Abzan, and everything else is fetch lands and the BFC lands. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's nice that you're able to play a variety of different cards, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're just taking all the best cards from every color and then just kind of mashing them together. I mean, even just look at Jeskai Black, which I thought was a really awesome deck. I mean, you have Abbott from Red, then you have just Jay, Soulfire Grandmaster, Mantis Rider, 
Ojutai, and then Taziger. So you're like, and then you're playing black for Cole against Command and uh, Crackling Doom. So so really, you're just taking like all the best multicolor cards of ev- or single colored uh, cards and basically just splashing them and just mashing them together. So I don't know if that's really like too exciting, but it's exciting enough. I mean, from my perspective, I'll repeat, I kind of said this in the article, but uh, if you look back to the old standard, Jeskai and Mardu, they're pretty similar. They share two colors, but they also have their distinct flavor. If you're trying to decide what deck to play for a tournament, if you go Jeskai, you get something like Jace, you get Mantis Rider, probably better creatures in general. Going Mardu, you get better removal, you get Crackling Doom, Colgan's Command, Mardu Charm. So there was a legitimate debate over what deck you should play. Like, in some metagames, Mardu would be better against some decks, and in some metas, Jeskai would be better. Now that deck-building tension and that choice that you'd have to make is completely off the table, because there's literally no reason not to play all the best creatures from Jeskai and all the best removal from Mardu. Right, exactly. (laughs) I felt that I was excited that these lands would increase the diversity of standard and allow us to make all these crazy, wacky brews, but after seeing this first tournament, I'm really concerned that it's going to decrease the diversity of the format, and everyone is just going to play four or five colors with all the best cards, and that's going to be 60% of the metagame. Man, you you are right. I, I it is concerning, and I'm not definitely not ruling that possibility out for any stretch of the means. But in terms of uh, big, you know, big cards having a coming out party at this tournament, Gideon at the top of the list. Uh, down the list, you know, Shambling Vent, Canopy Vista, Radiant Flames. So basically, all the Battlelands and uh, Gideon and Radiant Flames at the top of the list. Hang your back, Walker. <laughs> <laughs> most oh, played creature right. yeah i mean hangerback walker i think just compounds the problem when you play these like five color mana bases to get all your colors online uh you need you usually can't fix all your colors by turn one or two right uh but hangerback walker solves that because he's colorless and you just slam him down on turn two while you fix your mana slowly over the next couple turns so i think hangerback walker is also a big culprit uh, in these five color mana bases, they allow you to stabilize without requiring, you know, combinations of mana, allowing you to sequence your mana correctly. Because if you play modern and you play a deck like Junder Junk, you have to sequence your lands correctly, and your mana base ends up hurting you because you have Liliana, because you're trying to cast Abrupt Decay, uh, because you're trying to cast Path to Exile all in the first three turns. Whereas yeah. in standard, the color requirements don't get heavy until. Uh, you know, turns four or five, or you're trying to cast Radiant Flames, or when you're trying to uh, converge, I don't know, uh, you know, bring to light, right? So Hangerback Walker at two and Colorless lets you just play it. Same with Jace, right? Jace just requires one blue, so you can just jam him in and play him and stabilize as you fix your mana. So it's kind of like the perfect storm where we have great mana bases, and we have these low, you know, non-color intense cards to play to stall out while you get there. So Hangerback Locker saw 125 copies in the top 64. So yeah, that's, that, that's a lot of Hangerback Locker. That's a lot of Hangerback Locker. More than Siege Rhinos. Siege Rhinos only yeah. one weight. <laughs> and the reason I say I wasn't surprised with a Tarka Red, and, and again, this this will definitely change uh, the weeks to come, including the Pro Tour. I mean, you can't run into, and, and as good as the five-color bring-to-light decks were, and they obviously look fun, and um, there's definitely something there. You, you can't just go in, in week one playing like a one of Ugin's Insight and a one of Utter End and one Languish. 
you you can't be playing those cards when you know red is red Atark is going to be like all over the place, and red's just going you you just can't win. Like one of Guilt Leaf Winnower, like what is that going to do? Like what, when are you going to be able to play that against Atark or Red? You're dead. You're not going to even be able to get to that. The scary thing is though, is these decks performed well when they had that disadvantage. Like you didn't have the optimal setup to defeat the metagame with all these one-of toolbox cards. So I think that the pros testing for this Pro Tour and seeing the metagame develop over the next couple of weeks are probably going to be able to make some really tuned five-color lists that will have a shot of beating a Tarka Red because they'll be able to use Bring Delight in those cards to search up the answers that they need when we didn't know the answers that we needed going into week one. Right, exactly. Like You, you can be sure that there's not going to be a one 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 of split, and you're going to definitely get more copies of Languish in there or something like that where you either you're going to draw it naturally or as soon as you hit bring the light you're going to get uh languish um so yeah i mean just leaning on radiant flames obviously didn't cut it and that's why kind of a tarka red and the green white megamorph decklist by michael majors got to the finals like if you don't know what you're doing you might as well be smashing your opponent's face in proactively yeah right? so that's that's pretty much how standard works and yeah well, a tarka red is still yeah. good right you don't Apparently you don't need lightning strike. We don't need we don't need this. We got teamer battle rage and become immense, right? Yeah. Certainly won't be surprised if it shows up in like in droves at uh the Pro Tour because you know, maybe you know, while you, everyone may think, Oh, why even play it? Everyone it's gonna just get hated out. I mean, the two Pro Tours got taken down by a red aggressive deck, so maybe it's just that efficient right now. Uh it certainly looked that way throughout the, the the top eight. So, I mean, it just looked like it was in the driver's seat the whole time. And even when the other deck was starting to stabilize a little bit, it was like, they're not even out of the woods. So I don't know. Maybe there's just still so much that red decks can be doing right now that other decks can't, uh, with a condensed card pool. It's, uh, worth mentioning too, even though they didn't really put up the high end finishes, the landfall deck did look pretty sweet on camera in some of the matches like pulling off turn four wins through a removal spell that's another deck that has potential i think in the hands of good players to really punish people that are stumbling with their mana base yeah absolutely it it just between the two aggressive lists that one looked like it needed to be refined a little more than the you know straight up atarka red because the the red green while very explosive the landfall deck does kind of peter out as the game goes on, where Atarka Red can kind of still be in it the whole time. And I yeah. think that makes sense because Atarka Red was basically the same Atarka Red deck from last season with a couple yep. of few changes. I mean, that's the only deck that played new creatures, so gets my vote. <laughs> yeah. The only battle for Zendikar lands or things that were played were the lands and like Gideon. Like we saw no creatures, which is why uh, the format kind of looked like the old format. Uh, but at least the landfall deck, you know, used all the new creatures. So, yeah, and and it's good. So the 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 website has up to the 64th place deck list, so you can obviously look there. Uh, just you know, sometimes the top eight is the top eight, but it is good to look through all those deck lists because there are some telling things in those uh, finishes, like that four color uh, company deck list by Jacob Jensen. When I saw it on camera, looked brutal. Uh, but, you know, I obviously didn't end up in the top 
in the top good, eight. Good or bad because no, it looked really with so many collecting companies. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> just that's just variance. I mean, that's just that's gonna happen sometimes. But I mean, he did end up twenty uh, third. Yeah, twenty third. So I mean, it did well over the course of the day or the two days. So you know, it just happens. It just kind of fell apart down the stretch. But yeah. I mean, there are some good things to take away from this. I mean, there is variation, so I'm kind of staying optimistic with this new standard. I mean, regardless, I'd rather see Abzan splashing red than two red-green or green-white devotion lists just, you know, smash against each other. So, I don't know. It was interesting for sure. Well, what do you guys think about the price of the new standard? That, yeah, so, that's so the let's, big uproar of the weekend, right? Yep, so let's get into this a little bit. So Jace kind of really exploded in price, and, and you you posted all the paper prices of the the decks uh, along with their online prices. Uh, it's actually kind of staggering how wide of a... Well, the, of the a online factor. prices are inaccurate because the cards don't exist online. <laughs> right, okay, so... Um, you gotta wait. You gotta wait till Wednesday for the yeah. online prices to. I was gonna say there's a there's a steep drop off there, but um, there probably still will be a considerable drop off. But anyway, I gotta pose the question: How much more normal do these look when you shave off four Jace? You shave them off all completely, or put them down at a more reasonable thirty? Wait, right, like yeah, like take off like. Forty dollars or thirty dollars per Jace. They're still expensive. They're still expensive. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. It's, like I've posted this a lot. People are saying, "Oh, you know, it's the new, it's the new standard. The set was released. You know, this is to be expected, right?" But we have a couple different things, right? Normally, you're playing a two-color deck where you need one rare land cycle. Right now, you're playing four or five-color decks where you're playing literally like two or three basics. The rest of your lands come from two chase rare land cycles. So these will be expensive, right? Like, you don't expect Polluted Delta to just drop off a cliff, right? It will remain expensive. Uh, same with the Battlelands. Uh, and we can talk about Jace, but Jace, I have a feeling, is going to stay pretty high. Um, yeah. His price is not that unreasonable, and Hangerback Walker is also another card that's uh, ubiquitous. So I don't know that these prices will get much lower. Like, they'll, they'll probably come down a bit, but I don't see them just evaporating overnight and you know leaving you with a $300 standard deck I think we are you know if you haven't bought in to standard I think you're in for a rough time like if you've been playing standard the entire time and you've collected all your fetches then it might not be bad if you bought Jace originally it might not be bad but if you didn't you know you're looking at a $500 price tag just to play standard and at that point like why bother might as well go play modern (laughs) And if you if you have the cards, like, are you gonna play? Like, if you have a play set of Jaces, are you not trying to get rid of them? Right? Like, you still have this weird dynamic where, you know, if you play with them, you're probably gonna lose money. So you want to sell them, but if you sell them, then you can't play standard anymore. You know, what do you do? Right? So it creates this really weird tension, and uh, I don't know. It seems like the community is unhappy about this, but you know, what are we going to do, right? Like, do you want to play standard or no, right? You can't just boycott it and what are you going to play? Like, budget standard at FNM? Like, you can't convince <laughs> everyone else to do the same, right? you got to go and disadvantage. Yeah, right? yeah there's there's a lot of variables, and and you're right to to some extent. And there are there is a little bit of inflated Battle for Zendikar uh, singles 
attributing to a higher price tag and and Jace, but you know even when those do normalize a little bit it is still going to be a lot of money and i i do agree uh with that i don't know there's a lot of variables seth what do you think well the good news is which i hadn't really thought about until someone brought it up in the comments on reddit or to one of my articles was that in the worst case we only have to deal with this for six months because of the new rotation schedule so yes standard is going to be expensive if you didn't buy your fetches when they were $10 a piece six months ago or buy your Jaces when they were 15 bucks a couple months ago, you're pretty much out of luck. You're either going to have to bite the bullet and spend $600 or play a really sweet budget deck, but a budget deck that isn't likely to take down a SCG Open just over the course of a long tournament or not play standard at all. But this is a short-term problem because cons fetches will be rotating six months from now and that will change the whole dynamic of everything all over again. And it's unlikely we're going to see a land cycle of that value and power level again in the near future. There's been expensive standards before. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's always kind of a thing that's an ongoing problem in, in Magic. And I understand maybe maybe once the six-month, wait, maybe once the new blockade starts to take into effect more, the, the overall cost of standard will start going down uh, as we go along. Because, you know, maybe, you know, BIOS fluctuations and just there's just not a longer uh, as long of a lifespan for these cards, so they won't reach an astronomical price tag like Jace is right now. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we it's just kind of like a wait-and-see scenario, but for right now, I mean, it's as expensive as ever. Kind of reminds me of the World Wake times of Callblade. I mean, those, I mean, Jace were, back then, Mind Sculptor, mind you, were $100 a piece, so you're looking at $400 just for the Jace right there. Uh, so, when I look at $400 place at a Jace plus the rest of the uh, deck, you know, kind of looking almost like now, uh, so... The thing is, know. though, the thing is, I think this is more of a perfect storm situation. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. The, because it is really insane that we are playing decks that have 13 fetch stands in standard. Like, that is the biggest. Yes, Jace is a big deal, but only less than half of the decks in the top uh, 64 were even blue decks, and only about a third were Jace decks. So there are ample options out there that can perform well in a tournament that don't need $400 of Jace. But what there aren't are options that don't need two, three, four hundred dollars $400 of fetch lands and slow lands and man lands. So that, I think, is the bigger issue is unless you're going to play a mono red deck or something like that, which we were just talking about how there's no reason not to play all the most powerful cards because mana is so good you're going to have to spend a lot of money on that mana base, which I think is the the bigger issue. Let me pose a question to you then, to both of you. Uh, there was like that kind of delay in, in Moto uh, MTGO redemption for Origin specifically. Maybe is that kind of exasperating things? Well, that would really only apply to Jace and I guess to a lesser extent other cards from Magic Origins. I don't I think that usually it's only the most recent set that's being heavily redeemed, so I don't think that would have impact the fetches too much or the older cards. Um so it was a one or possibly two week gap where you couldn't redeem sets because of problems they were having on Wizards ends. And I think the thing is, yes, that could have a short term effect. 
But all those orders that weren't redeemed uh, were theoretically just redeemed when that little hiatus ended, which was still like three weeks ago. So I think that supply still made it into the market eventually. So I'm not sure that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards your, your explanation here. Uh, I don't, and Richard, I mean, I, I mean, I kept hearing about, uh, Moto Redemption and, or MTGO, right? I keep calling it Moto. I'm super old. I don't know. Uh, you're just going to have to uh, accept that. Um, but, uh, it is kind of a perfect storm. Like you said, Seth, I mean, everything is kind of lining up perfectly and there, there is, so the perfect storm is kind of lining up right where these sets kind of, are the last remnants of the old standard rotation. And it's going to take a while for this new kind of block, this new blockade is to take into effect. So yeah, we're kind of looking at that point where the old is kind of clashing with the new. And we're at that point where everything's super expensive and standard right now. Um, but in terms of Jay specifically, cause I, I'm getting a lot of questions and, and comments about Jay specifically. I mean, I kept hearing about Moto Redemption bringing this card down. Uh, it has kind of yo-yoed back to uh, eBay completed like $65 to $70, so it's not quite the solidified $80 it is now. But, I mean, once once this shows up all over Pro Tour cameras, I mean, this is going to just shoot right back up to where it was a day ago. Uh, so it's kind of just going to keep roller coastering until it finally exits standard. And maybe it goes down 10% or something like that, but it's played in modern too, and legacy, and vintage from what I'm hearing, fringe or whatever. Uh, so I just, I don't, I think it's just one of those cars that are expensive. It's the Liliana of the Veil. It's the, you know, it's the voice of resurgence. I mean, there's been expensive cars before. Why can't there be an expensive card now? I, I just, I don't understand. But so is you, it just because we all got it wrong? I mean, okay, we all got it wrong. But so you think Jace's price is here to stay, that he will be an $80 card, you know, for the remainder of standard life? For remainder of standard, definitely. Yeah. Uh, because it, uh, standard is just kind of adding on additionally that it, it's it's a premier card in standard. So uh, in addition to it's where it's played in, in Eternal... Uh, format so yeah definitely 70 to 80 dollars it's probably here to stay i think this is the beginning right i think we're gonna see jace be an even stronger role player uh you know he fits in every single deck like that's yeah. the biggest problem the mana is too good like you can use him in a mid-range deck you can use him in a control deck you can even play jeskai aggro and use him offensively right to you know uh flashback a burn spell so he fits everywhere and he doesn't really have a weakness right so as we see more decks get brewed, I think more and more will include Jace, and I can't figure a dimension, you know, on which to beat him that would make him obsolete. So I think his price is here to stay, especially given that Magic Origins doesn't have many strong cards. Um, so I agree with you. I think he's going to stay, you know, 80 plus, and it would not shock me if he hit 100, right? If he puts up a good showing at the Pro Tour and people need to buy in. Um, yeah. But I think he will tank as soon as he, he rotates. Like, even if he is, I read, the best Jace in Vintage. I don't know how true that is. But even if that's the <laughs> case, uh, he, you know, there aren't that many Vintage players, right? And they're, you know, he's fringe playable in Legacy. And 
kind of playable in modern. Like he's not as ubiquitous. Um, like right. look at you know look at Liliana and something like that. So I think he will come back down. Uh, but for his standard life, I, I think we're looking at the next Jace the Mind Sculptor. I, yeah, uh, which is crazy. I got, I agree with both of you. I wouldn't be surprised if it hit 100 either. Uh, not that it necessarily will, but it could. And that would fit under the EV. Uh, it's possible. Magic Origins is low value enough that it's not unreasonable that Jace could maintain $100. But off the price topic, I Evan Irwin, who I'm sure you guys know, used to work at SCG, now off to greener pastures, I guess, doing a, yep. something that's unannounced. But we had a little Twitter conversation this week, and he suggested that Jace is legitimate competition for Snapcaster as the best blue creature ever printed. Thoughts? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess depending on what. Like, if you're playing yeah. in standard with mediocre spells, then yes, he's better. But if yeah. you're playing in Legacy, where you can flashback, like, Brainstorm, I, I think Snapcaster is a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I can see I, standard. I can see a good argument for standard where you don't have anything good to flashback, but I can't see that holding up in modern legacy vintage. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm fully agreeing with you, Richard, but I'm trying to question you wh- which standard. If if Snapcaster was in standard right now, or when Snapcaster was actually in standard? Like if Snap, let's say, because Snap, I wouldn't even take Jace over Snapcaster now, or when even when Snapcaster was in standard. Like, what could you flash back now? I guess you could play every color, so I guess you're good. Yeah, <laughs> you right. can just there, flash there back a Coligan's command and destroy people. Yeah. You can snap yeah, I guess you're right. I guess Snapcaster is probably better. But yeah, I, I don't I just... know. Like, he uh... enables combo decks and stuff, which Snapcaster doesn't do as good of a job as. But, okay. But I don't know. I, I think I think Snapcaster's good all around, but I could see having to think... And I can see a legitimate debate for standard, whereas I, I don't even see that for the other formats. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely serviceable. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a, uh, I guess the same mana cost. They do similar things. It, it's serviceable, but it's not Snapcaster Mage. Um, it it has it's ups like it has its pros and cons, just like Snapcaster. But I think if we were to lay them all out, I think Snapcaster has the edge. And uh, in Eternal formats, I just don't think. I just can't see more situations where Jace is better than Snapcaster, just for all the reasons you stated, Richard. Yeah, and Snapcaster is a warm body. Like, it's right. a good ambush viper. <laughs> like, the, the fact that he comes in in flash and hits as a 2-1 is quite relevant for killing planeswalkers or just chipping in, like, you know, bolt, Snapcaster, bolt. Part of that is the Snapcaster hitting for 2 damage, right? Whereas yeah. Jace doesn't give you that punch. So... Yeah, like the the body on Snapcaster itself, you know, is pretty good, and it's an automatic like three for one against an aggro deck, where, uh, or actually two for three, I guess, uh, where you can like bolt and then use them to block and then bolt again, whereas mm-hmm. Jace doesn't give that versatility. So I, I think I think Tiago still holds uh, king of the two drops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Or back when he was in standard and I had to have the pleasure of playing against this all the time, uh, you uh, Azorius Charm block Azorius Charm. And there goes your your game. <laughs> I, I like Mandalik, Snapcast, oh. and Mandalik. <laughs> that, that yeah, was a, that was... Uh, that Delver, Mandalik. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Baker Snake. 
Yeah. And then I had, yeah, it, it's crazy. And just to go off topic a little bit, it's crazy, like, people drawing comparisons. You you really, you really, you know, get your eyes open to how many people really haven't played the game that long. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people out there that played the game for X amount of years. But, you know, as as we've gone by, there's just more and more people that have started to play the game. And you just realize that players... You you can easily point out the players that haven't been playing this game for that long when they compare the card to Jace the Mind Sculptor, and I'm like, this, you, you're getting like crazy now. He's a good card. He's gonna remain a, a high price tag, and I think that's the end of the debate. Like, it, it's just a good card, and there has been. I don't know. I think that's more different. Before. That's more apples to oranges. Right, but I mean, because it's you, like, is Lightning Bolt better than Liliana of the Veil? Like, I don't know. Like, one's a three drop, one's a one drop, and they do different things, right? Like, Jace the Mind Sculptor and Jace Vince Prodigy kind of do different things, and they're at different points on the curve. So it's really hard right. to compare them. Whereas, like, Snapcaster versus Jace, um, like, that's pretty close on curve and pretty close in roll. Well, Mind Sculptor and Little Jace is hard to compare, I think. Right. Well, I think maybe it was just coming to the fact that they're both Jace cards and they're both, you know, kind of nearing a hundred dollars. So may, I I guess that's why the comparison was, was made. So here's the caveat is that Jace, the mind sculptor was banned because it's too good. I don't ever see a situation where they ban Jace friends prodigy. So that's the problem though, right? (laughs) Because he's, he still kills you. It's just not obvious. He right, just, you know, he just killed you with incremental value, whereas like Jace just like made you sad and cry. <laughs> so yeah. they're like, "Well, I better get rid of this." Well, I mean, whereas Jace, I don't know. Jace is still pretty good, little yeah. Jace. He just, yeah. I don't well, know. I, mean, I, I don't see them banning him, but I don't know. I don't. I don't like this standard where I have to pay four hundred dollars for Jace. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like what? Tough. What is that? Right. Like. Right. I mean, you're paying four hundred dollars for your Jace, and then next up is your what two hundred dollars worth of polluted Delta or something like that. Like, like I think most players can stomach the Delta. land. Yeah, most yeah. players know that the fetch lands will maintain some semblance of value, and you can get rid of them and just lose, you know, ten percent, which would be you know twenty bucks. Yeah. Whereas people are not so sure on Jace. Jace might end up going down to twenty, right? And if you paid a hundred dollars. Right? Did you just lose like three hundred and twenty dollars on a playset of Jace at rotation? Like no one knows, right? So they're not as confident and they're not willing to buy in. Yeah, and I think. It, go ahead, Seth. And that problem is made even worse by the faster redemption or rotation schedule because he doesn't have that long left. Like he'll rotate next summer. So instead of the normal schedule where he'd be in the format for another. Almost two years you could play your Jaces. Now you got another 10 months or something. So do you really want to invest that heavily in a card that you only get 10 months of use out of and will probably start decreasing heading into rotation? Yeah, I mean, I I just don't see, like, even as a modern staple, like, even if it ever ends up becoming really good in modern, and we have seen flashes where it's it's getting utilized in modern, it's just in today's market, it's just so hard for it to sustain that price. It's not, you know, Liliana the Veil, you know, has kind of been sitting around there, but it's solidified as a modern and legacy staple. I don't know if Jace can kind of, you know, I don't know if Jace can kind of hold that a candle to that card. And, you know, just the simple fact that as the years have gone on, even, you know, Innistrad at this point, 
there's just more and more of these, uh, more and more of the product being distributed, you know, even from Innistrad. So it's just hard. Question for you guys. How desperate do you think players will get? Do you, do you think it will be a common occurrence to have four checklist Jaces in your deck, but only own one or two in your box? Ooh. <laughs> like, mm. when you lose to a Jace deck, are you going to be like, can you show me your four Jaces, please? <laughs> I don't know what the ruling on that is, but I suspect some people will try it. Uh, at at F&M, I mean, sure, at, at a larger tournament, that's pretty ballsy, but... Uh, even at I mean, F&M, I, man, I, I don't know if I'd be happy with, you know, someone playing with $400 of fake Jaces. No, no, no. <laughs> no, well, well, yeah, no, what I'm saying is I would expect it more at the F&M level, you know, because uh, players yeah, yeah. are getting desperate. I mean, it would be a little more ballsy going into a Star City or... You know, a large Star City event or even higher than that. Uh, but, I mean, I'm sure people will try it. I don't know how that works Competitive out. Competitive Rel is probably because you get deck checked. <laughs> You're going to lose yeah. the deck check. But at FNL, there is no deck check. Right. Do we, so, do, uh, we need, do we need to start allowing some number of proxies for standard <laughs> tournaments? <laughs> Ten proxy standards. <laughs> I still can't afford to play it. I can only box it's, Ten it's, it's getting there. I mean, it's it's certainly not not getting any cheaper anytime soon. But, um, I mean, if you like standard, I don't know. Maybe you play a non-Jace deck. They're, they're, play a Tarka Red or something. I was like, I hope you like mono race. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I don't know because you're right. I mean, why, uh, why play when we're in the hurricane right now when everything's super expensive? Because we're kind of in that weird transition period between old blockades, new blockades. So I don't know because and, Origins is still around for a little while. And while it's too late for this situation, this perfect storm does provide a good example of why you should be on top of the time frames of things and look to right. buy at lows because you could have bought all of your fetches for probably $200 or even less like a few months ago. So that why a new player can't do much about that. If you are a regular standard player and you just chose not to buy your fetches for $10 a piece, it's kind of your own fault and being a little bit aware of the cycles of things in MTG finance is really beneficial as a player and will help you a ton in these type of situations. Yeah. And, and it's not like Jace is suddenly $80. I mean, well, it is kind of overnight, but it's not like it came up from $10, you know, it, it there were points where huh, you could have got in. I mean, it was still kind of sh- crappy to, you know, stomach buying, th- you know, $35 Jace is like, Oh, that sucks. But, I mean, there were points, I mean, from $10 all the way on up to where we are now. Jace's low was right before, ironically, before the release, when uh, <laughs> we were telling him he wasn't graduating and, <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, he was about 10 bucks. Somehow, <laughs> in this, in this release, podcast... Before pre-order price was his lowest price. <laughs> somehow in this podcast where... Bring to light, and I'm wrong. We're somehow still making fun of Seth for Jace. I, I was wrong on Jace too. But it's just interesting <laughs> that the pre-order price is the lowest price. <laughs> so, so me being wrong on Bring to Light is not as egregious. <laughs> as, 
being wrong about Jace. Well, when so, Ring of Light uh, hits 100, you're going you're right. gonna to get a schlacking. But. So we're, we're going full circle here. I was wrong. This was supposed to be making fun of me, this, this podcast. But somehow, Jace gets brought up and we're back to college. The magnitude of your error is $5. <laughs> <laughs> the magnitude yeah. of error on Jace is like 80 <laughs> uh, Yeah, so there you have it. I was thinking about uh, that. If, if you had bought Jace's during pre-order, you would have made so much money. Like Man. seriously, oh! If you invested yeah. two hundred bucks in Jaces, you would have turned that into like eighteen hundred bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, sorry it, about that, everyone. Again. Yeah, it, it wasn't as big of a slam dunk, but I mean, cards do you know get through the cracks. Like the same could have been said about Dragon Ward Ojutai. So and, five dollar pre order, thirty five dollars like a couple weeks later. It's and like, it's just so it's so unique. Damaged. Like, yeah. it's such a unique effect. We didn't have a good frame of reference, uh, and I think that is part of why not only I, but other people, too, really underestimated yeah. uh, just how good he would be. Yeah, and I'm not going to throw – I'm not going to throw my – I'm going to throw my name in there, too, in the hat. Is I, I, didn't, I wasn't completely praising this card, either. I mean, I didn't fully condemn it, but, I mean, a lot of people dropped the ball on this card, and I, I can fully well on this podcast say that I dropped the ball as well, so – I mean, I didn't have the highest regard for the card. So I guess a two-mana delayed Snapcaster Mage in Standard is still really good, and in Modern, too, because that's, you know, sometimes it's just you have to look at it as this is what we have to work with, right? So I don't know. Just like a four-mana delayed Bitter Blossom with Artifact Doctor tokens is good enough in Standard. You know, it's just... Sometimes it's just the right place at the right time, you know? So moving on, uh, so we tackled Star City Games. We have some fish mail to do. We tackled Jace. But for now, uh, another heated uh, debate uh, is um, Fat Packs. And I just want to preface all of this as I, I do not know the the nitty-gritty particulars about distribution and, and all that, and I'm not a... a store owner well all three of us you know we, we are not store owners and we are consumers we do buy cars we're, we're, we're customers to said uh stores i'm going to open the floor to you because i've been asked about this a lot i see it all over social media and i, I want to get your guys take about the i'll call it the fat pack situation we'll just leave it at that so you up uh, let's let's start with you richard I am highly disappointed in local game stores <laughs> that okay. we see, I don't know, we're seeing like $80 fat packs. Like, what? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you can almost buy a booster box, right? Like, you know, I, I understand that some stores will, you know, will try to take every penny from their customers. Okay, I understand that. But when almost like every local game store is doing that, and the rare ones are the ones actually charging MSRP, I think that becomes a problem, right? It makes it very hard to support, you know, the the place you play when you have to pay an extra $40, when you can just go to Walmart and get basically a two-for-one deal, right? You can get one for $40, you can get a second one for $80, which is the same price as some stores are charging. So I, I don't agree with it. I think store owners are missing the... Um, kind of the bigger picture of, you know, gaining loyal uh, people to come to your store and to hang out there. And, you know, I, I'm willing to throw a couple bucks 
to my local game store, right? But I'm not willing to pay $40, double the price, or, you know, an extra $20 um, just because this is a hot product, right? Like, if they continu- if they continuously did that, it's more justifiable. But the fact that they're they're saying, like, oh, you know, this is a hot product and people want full art lens, let me just, you know, take all their money, like, it just rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't like it, and I highly recommend people going to Walmart and Target and buying their product there if their local game store is charging, um, you know, more than MSRP. So mm. that's my take on it. Okay. Seth? All right, I got a couple of thoughts here. First off, when you have Richard and Tolarian Community College, who is probably the biggest supporter of local game stores in the whole Magic community, telling you to go yep. to Walmart and buy fat packs, you you have a problem. Whether the problem is legitimate or not, there is a pop problem, at least with public perception. You know, that's not what you want as a local gaming store, to have these big community figures that are your staunch supporters telling people not to go to your store because you're gouging the customers. So there is an issue there. That said, one thing that I learned during this whole debate, and you guys can tell me if this is true or not, but apparently fat packs are limited print products, much like Modern Masters. They are not, uh, uh, booster boxes are printed to demand. They will just keep printing those and printing those and printing those for the next six or nine months. Apparently, and this is apparently how it's always been, they do one print run of fat packs, and that's all the fat packs that they ever print, and that's how it's been for five years or ten years. Uh, but we just never hit the limit. For some reason, they're not that popular. They don't have the full art lands. So they're still sitting on shelves after six months. So the perception, at least my perception, was they were like booster boxes or intro decks where there's just so many of them out there. They kept printing them. But if it's really true that fat packs are limited print run products, this does make a little bit of sense. Like you have to think of them more as a modern masters and less as an event deck or a booster box. So, so my understanding from the situation is it's they print one print run and that is it. But that print run is like humongous, yeah. right? Like for every largest magic selling set of all time, they've done the same thing and they've never had a problem. Yeah. So it's not limited in the sense of modern masters where they're like, oh, let's try to like balance the price of Tarmogoy for something. It's just, you know, we're, we're going to print, you know, X hundreds of thousands or X millions of fat packs and then that's it. And that number is large enough to stock, you know, all the local gaming stores, all the Walmarts, Targets and big box stores. And we've never had a problem until Battle for Zendikar, which... Yeah. Maybe they adjusted the numbers. Like, I'm not sure. Maybe they've cut back, but that num- you know, that, that's not released to us. We don't really know. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm getting right now. And, and again, I don't know all the little particulars. I'm getting that, you know, distributions are sold out and blah, blah, blah. There's no reorder, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's none left uh, sitting around in a warehouse. So, uh, and then I'm getting uh, more hearsay of uh, they print X amount to supply for six months or something like that or a year or something like that uh, because I still walk into uh, Walmart and Target and still see cons of Tarkir uh, cons of Tarkir uh, fat packs and that's been out for a year so I don't know I mean let me preface this by saying I'm not a store owner and I don't condemn 
yeah, I'm not going to tell people to run how to run their business and all that, but I, I think there's a threshold first and foremost of how much more you're going to charge for a product that's MSRP first and foremost. So I, I think people are going to have more of an issue of you charging 10 to 15 to 20 dollars more over MSRP than five dollars. Let's say if I walk into a local gaming store and see $45 uh, fat packs, you know, MSRP is $39.99 or whatever. I'm not going to have a huge deal about that. Um, the the issue is, is this is where I have an issue is, and this is where I was trying to be pretty clear. I have an issue with an, a, a local gaming store chart, you know, price gouging and overcharging for a product that's going to be also sold in a big box store okay so there is a limited there is one print run of all these and that's fine and all that but they're also in walmart's and and targets this is not like a from the vault angels which only gets distributed to you know premier stores gaming stores and all that and is not sold in walmart and target so i think that's the biggest issue i have with this and i mean eventually People are either either going to go to Walmart and Target and just get their fat packs, which I have no problem, and I had no problem doing, and I foresee a lot of people doing. But once you know they're sold out for X amount of time and they don't restock them, and you're the only option in town, then I guess you know capitalism rules the day, and you can charge whatever you want. I'm not going to fault you for charging more than they're worth. I mean. I don't know. I, I, it's just between a rock and a hard place because, I, you, yes, you want to you want to promote your local gaming stores, but at the same time, I don't want local game. You know, I, I it's just something wrong with charging loyal customers twenty dollars more than what they, they they could be going to Walmart and Target for. And again, it's not from the vault, angels. And that's fine if you want to charge more than that. But I think there's a dollar sign. A dollar sign cost you need to pay for maintaining, cultivating, and keeping a player base that goes to your store and remains loyal to your store and keeps purchasing at your store. And I think charging MSRP for a fat pack is part of that dollar sign cost and not gouging your player base. So that's my Uh, rant on that. Well, question for you then. Do you think the fact that there are people like me or other people out there who would potentially go to a local gaming store and if they were selling fat packs for 35 or 40 bucks like they usually are would just buy 20 of them or all of them like is does that play into it are people are stores trying to protect their players by making sure they get spread around and the finance community doesn't come and buy out their whole stock and stick them in their closet you, for two years you, and no, triple right? their money. You, you can't open up store and be worried about that. No, but even if you are, limit one per customer. Done. Yeah. Right? Done. Not here's double the price, so you literally cannot afford to do it. Right? Like, but yeah. I don't even agree with that, right? Like, what if you're like a parent, you have four kids, they want four fat packs, and then, you know, you get limited to one, you're like, what? Like, you know, like what's, what's the point, right? But, you know, like I think there are more elegant ways to solve this. Like, the best case scenario is you sell for MSRP. If you wanted to price gouge your customers, you could do it in nicer ways, right? You could say, 
if you buy $10 of singles, we'll let you buy a fat pack for MSRP. You know, if you enter F&M, you'll enter a lottery for the chance to buy an MSRP fat pack, right? There's other ways to get kind of more money out of this without just straight up gouging your customers that, you know, they don't feel as bad, right? I'm going to play F&M anyway. So yeah, you know, let's enter the lottery to try to win a pack, uh, win a fat pack, right? Or the right. chance to buy a fat pack. Or, you know, they have, you know, the infamous bundles, you know, like buy some sleeves with this fat pack for some price. Right. So there there are a lot nicer ways to gouge as well, which is but why it, I'm so shocked that yeah. stores have resorted to this crazy like, oh, here's a seventy dollar fat pack. Right. Like you're like, what? That's that's seventy dollars, right? Like that's crazy. That's almost the price of Jeez. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I so. totally agree with you, Richard, and that is a great way to do it. I would still have a problem with that. Yeah, because, I, I agree. I, I, yeah. I agree with that, but Yeah. And and, and only for the fact that it's a fat pack. If you did that from like a From the Vault Angels, where that product is actually, or or Modern Masters Booster Box, where those products are not distributed at big box stores, I would have, I would be totally cool with that. Like, so you're telling me I have to, and you know, I'm going to do something anyway, and then I have a chance to buy something that you should be selling at MSRP anyway? Like, I could just go to Target and buy it? Now, okay, if they're not at Target and they're not at, Walmart and they're all sold out and they're not restocking. Great, you get to sell sixty dollars fat packs, whatever. Have at it. Yeah, I, you know, that's fine. Whatever. The bigger problem is like the perception in the community, and it's not right. not because the game looks bad, but because I see that fat packs are like eighty dollars everywhere. When I go to Target and I see a forty dollars fat pack, I might be incentivized to buy all of them, right? Even though I don't need them. Like, I'm like, oh, look, they're half price off compared to everywhere else. Let me just buy them all. They're on sale, right? And then that creates a shortage for people that actually want them. Mm -hmm. So even though you're not trying to speculate or make money or anything, you know, just that psychological, like, oh, it's so cheap here compared to everywhere else, causes the shortage to get worse. So I think that itself makes the game, you know, makes it worse for the game overall. Yeah. And and to your point, Seth, I mean, that's that's just something that – you have as a store owner to that that's just that's something that's not in your that, that's not something you can control right like you can control it like richard said but i mean why are you even opening a business if you're worried about you know joe somebody coming in there and buying out all your fat packs you just sold all your fat packs i mean well, at the end of the day you're still moving product isn't that the point no, that well but that's true but then that would diminish the community building aspect, I think, is the point I was trying to make. If the idea is to spread right. them out okay. and build a community and, and someone like me buys your entire stock, they're still not getting to the community and building the community. But right. let, me, let me play devil's advocate one more time. Who should we be mad at in this situation? If we grant that this is a bad situation and it's fair that people are upset, should we be mad at little local game store owner X, Y, or Z? That's option one. Should we be mad at Star City Games and Channel Fireball, the big vendors who often set the prices of the whole market and local game stores follow, option two? Or should we be mad at Wizards for not printing enough Battle for Zendikar fat packs? Well, we don't know if the third one is actually real. We don't know if they have not printed enough. Um, but I uh, number four is the player base, right? Should we be mad at the player base for hyping this up and you know, buying things out as well, right? But I, I, I'm I'm more tempted to place blame at like Star City Games and Channel Fireball. 
uh, only because like little stores do what they need to do. Right? If you need to gouge your customers to make rent, well, I guess, right? Like it, it kind of sucks for the customer, but you're kind of looking out for yourself. Channel Fireball does not need to do this, right? Star City Games does not need to do this, right? They're kind of the faces of the community, and they do not need to gouge their customers. They could easily absorb whatever quote-unquote loss they, you know, they they would take for selling an MSRP. So I don't think they should do this, and it makes it makes even less sense to me because of all the community building things they do, right? They yeah. spend a lot of money building the community and building up goodwill. And then they kind of just throw it all away by overcharging for fat packs. So, like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Right? Now, so, yeah. that's just weird. I think a little bit of blame needs to get placed on everyone. And, you know, you could make arguments like, I could understand Star City, as big as it is, charging more than MSRP on a fat pack because their operation cost is just vastly more uh, – there's just vast more upkeep on their – overhead than Joe Schmo's card shack and, you know, wherever. So it doesn't make it right. No. And, and they could easily, like you said, Richard, probably eat the losses better than anyone. I mean, honestly, uh, but you know, they, they do have a lot more moving parts than just an ex local gaming store that doesn't do giant, you know, tournament circuits and has to pay, coverage teams and all this stuff and God knows what else, you know, huge staff and all that. So I, I can understand that a little more, you know, and, but at the same time, like you said, Richard, they could probably still sell them an MSRP and keep things going. Right. Uh, it, it's not, they're not going to go out of business because they sold battle for Zendikar fat packs and MSRP. That's and, just, and remember they, they only buy these things for like twenty bucks or fifteen bucks a piece. <laughs> right. Right. It's like not. It's not like they're losing money. They're just losing potential profit. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know. It it just rubs me the wrong. Like it just yeah. it doesn't rub me the wrong way. They're free to do what they want to do, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, like Channel Fireball offers um, no entry tournaments. You can go play standard for free, and you can win a pack per win. Right, so they're giving away like boxes for free here yeah. at each of these events, but then they feel the need to turn around and then charge someone twenty dollars extra for a fat pack. They're like, "What? Right. This doesn't make any sense." Right, like it's just inconsistent. So right. I'm very and that, confused. And that same point you made even applies to local gaming stores too. I mean, you're already buying them at wholesale. You're just losing that extra cap on what you could have made, you know. But you're still making profit at MSRP. That's why they do it, right? Yeah. So. I don't know. A little bit of blame could be placed on everyone, I think. So that that's my that's our MTG Goldfish crew. You know, we're throwing our hat in there to the to the wolves of uh, this ongoing debate. But you know, again, my my specific point is to the actual product, just like Commander product, and that stuff gets hyped too, and people go and buy them at Walmart and Target and. That's perfectly fine. The same with mine sees and all that. Just just looking back recently, it, it I would I have a problem with you charge overcharging and gouging on stuff that's also sold in Walmart and Target. If you want to charge thirty dollars extra on a From the Vault Angels or a Commander's Arsenal or what have you, go you know have at it. That's that's more acceptable to me than uh, you know price gouging on a fat pack. You know I don't know. 
All right, so uh, I think um, we're down to just finance stuff, and which we re- basically already talked about, and uh, fish mail. So uh, why don't we just do the fish mail? Uh, okay, let me look it up. So this is in in the context, if you're not familiar, this is a Magic Online question, and uh, from the Community Cup, they gave everyone uh, unhinged lands, right? So the, the unhinged lands... Uh, were flooded into the market. And so we have a fish mail question from Synthetica, at Synthetica. Actually used Twitter. Forgot to tag it, though. I had to tag it myself. <laughs> do you recommend holding on to our unhinged lands? Have quite a few, and I don't know what to do now that the market has been flooded with them. So, Seth, you have a lot of unhinged lands. Uh, well, actually, not as many as I want. I I was looking to buy – I wanted to have 25 of each Unhinged Land because I like them and wanted to use them for videos. And I have enough of some of them, but not all of them. So when the cards first re, uh, were released, which was last Wednesday after downtime, I put an ad up in the classifieds, had some offers to buy five of them for $2, so about $0.40 cents a piece. And I thought about it, I tweeted some people about it, and everyone said, don't buy them, these are going to be 10 cents a piece, you really shouldn't do that, you're going to end up regretting it. So I took the ad off the classifieds, didn't buy them, figured I would wait a little bit, and as of right now, that is still their price. In the last week, they <laughs> haven't really went, went down at all, they're about 40 to 50 cents a piece, and you can sell them for about 20 to 30 cents a piece, depending on the exact land. Islands and mountains are more expensive. The rest are a little bit cheaper. Uh, so I don't, I really don't know. I, like I said, I'm a buyer in this situation. The, just for perspective, these lands were worth somewhere between a dollar or a ticket and two tickets until they release this new supply as the promos. I don't really expect them to get back to that range anytime soon. It's probably more likely that they float around the half a ticket mark but it's starting to look like they're not going to crash. Like, usually it would have happened by now. With the promos, the first couple of days, they stay pretty high, but the bottom comes pretty quickly when they have these mass release promos. So I guess there's enough demand that they're not going to just fall off a cliff and be worth nothing. So you're probably fine to hold on to them for now uh, if you want to use them to play with. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. If this is particularly moto, I don't really have much to say. So, Richard, what are your thoughts? I have nothing to say. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't follow the lands. Uh, I will point out that people in moto don't care as much about pipping out their decks. So, like, the the premium, like, you know, the, the cool arts, the full arts, the foils, they typically don't have as much of a premium cost as compared to paper. Um, but... You know, they're they're so cheap now. Like I can't imagine them going much lower. Um so holding them I think is fine, but I have no idea. Listen to Seth. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 my uh, advice on this is listen to Seth. Um so yeah, I think we covered everything. So just a little quick financial tidbit before just to talk about it before on out the door. Uh really the main changing uh cards this week basically tied to standard because standard is what is everyone what everyone is focused on right now. Uh Jace, what we talked about. 
Atarka's Command up to about $15, and uh, those are basically the two big ones. So, yeah. Um, can I add in two things real quick? One is in sure. the paper world, we are still seeing movement based on this old school format that only allows cards from the first couple years of Magic's history. Uh, Storm World, for example, this week, up 60%. Nether Void increasing. Uh, Juzum Jin is increasing. The Abyss. So we're seeing these really old cards that aren't played anywhere other than this fringe new format, actually seeing a lot of demand just because they are so scarce and so rare. So that was thing one. Point two, we are seeing some movement in Legacy on Magic Online thanks to the announcement that they are bringing back daily events and eight-man events. So, for example, Stifle this week is up 50%, Sneak Attack, Counterbalance, Ancestral Vision. Those cards all jumped up between 20 and 50% this week. So I think there is hope for Eternal Formats on Magic Online, and the prices are reflecting uh, this newfound life the formats have. Awesome. Uh, that's that's really – it looks like they're finally getting their act together on uh, Magic Online. And uh, so that's good for for Legacy for sure uh, because that's kind of one of the last pillars of where the format's actually played, right? Yeah, but now uh, that I've played yeah. leagues, I don't want to play daily events. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the, the, uh, the still convenient to I'm play sure. for like 30 minutes and just stop. <laughs> I don't have to yeah. sit there and play for four hours straight waiting on some Miracles Mirror to finish. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as the old school, like this thing, I don't know. I really, I, I just, I don't want to say anything that like upsets certain people. But I mean... <sighs> I will I will say my first impression was this would be the next tiny leaders that had a ton of hype and then suddenly died out. But as this has gone on for a few months now, I think the difference is the people interested in this format are people that are now in their 30s and 40s making good incomes and want to play this nostalgic format from when they were first playing Magic as teenagers or in college. And they have the money that if they want to spend – a few thousand dollars to build a deck that they only get to play once in a while with this small play group, they can do it. So I think this format, it'll never be huge, but it might have staying power just based on the player base having so much money that they can buy these cards, even if they increase in price. It's, it doesn't matter well, to them. Yeah, that and it's coupled with the cards are just they're not getting printed anymore. They're scarce, and half of them, a majority of them are on the reserve list. So that, that's just kind of exacerbating things. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I would, not totally, printing Nether Void anymore. I would totally play this format if I could find people that actually played it. Yeah, do you want to <laughs> spend $17 on a Storm World, though? I, look, I work incredibly hard to work, like, Kurt Ape and Craft into my modern and legacy <laughs> decks. Like, just because I played with it as a kid. You're like, oh my god, this card's so cool. You know, Hymnatorak played that as a kid, and now I play it all the time, right? So I would totally, you know, play a format where I could only play cards from my childhood, and they would actually be good. Yeah. I don't need to try to, like, justify Curdate versus, uh, you know, Step Links and, or something, right? Like, I could actually yeah, just I, play it and it'd be good, so. I think, well, I think it, this is kind of going to become, like, Tiny Leaders again, where it's a bubble where the own, the, the people playing the format are going to price people out of the format. So then there's, like, a kind of inward implosion. Because but, who wants to spend $25 on a Storm World where... That's not going to be – I mean, you're not playing that anywhere else. 
But I think that's what I, I was trying to suggest is these people, it's not as big of a deal with tiny leaders because it's not some budget little creature format. This is a format for people that are in their 30s and now have good incomes and they can afford. They don't really care that Storm World went from 5 to 15. If they want one for their deck, they can buy it. They have the disposable income now. So I think that that the format can survive just because of that. This said, it would be sweet if they expanded it a little bit and had a nostalgic format that included like maybe revised edition or up to like up to sixth edition rules with the old rules where players could buy some more accessible cards that were uh, printed later in the white bordered sets that would allow a lot more players to get into the format, but still keep the nostalgic feel of it from only the earliest years of the game. Yeah. All right. I think that uh, covers everything. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a great cast and we will do this uh, again real soon uh, next week. Um, Another standard uh, Star City games coming up. Uh, Pro Tours right around the corner. And for those of you uh, that are into and play Magic the Gathering online a lot, uh, pre-release is this weekend, right? It is. Magic Online pre-release starts Friday. So if you uh, are looking for a chance to play some of the new cards, uh, it will start at 1 o'clock Eastern Time on Friday. Awesome. And uh, are you going to this one, or are you going <laughs> to... Are you I, uh, foregoing this one, too? <laughs> I I always... I play all the formats that are on Magic Online, and I love the pre-release okay. events, so I definitely will be playing this weekend. Okay, well, we'll be sure to get your pre-release stories from uh, Moto. Um, yeah, that about does it for this uh, episode, and we will see you all next time.